Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Built by You podcast. I have Meg Proctor with us today, owner of Learn, Play, Thrive. Hi, Meg. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm so glad to be here talking to you, Heidi. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited to share um, for you to share your content and your story with our listeners. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I love, I love the work you're doing. It's so important. Thank you. Uh, well, if you could just start telling us a little bit about yourself and sure. your background so, as an occupational therapist. Yeah, yeah. So when I got out of OT school, I started in early intervention. And I feel like this is a story a lot of people can relate to that I had these big ambitions and, and goals in OT school. And I got into the field and absolutely felt like I did not know what I was doing. Um, I had a lot of language around what I didn't want to do and what I did want to do, but I hadn't really seen any of the ways I wanted to practice modeled for me. I hadn't been taught how to do them. And I was really struggling. And I spent a lot of time at night trying to like read research articles, but you know, I didn't have my logins anymore. So I was just reading abstracts and um, just trying to figure out what on earth to do to really show up in the way I wanted to show up for my clients. Um, most of whom were young autistic kids or kids who would later be diagnosed as autistic. And, and I'll give you the, um, the preface that I, I use identity first language autistic instead of person first language person with autism. Um, just because I have been so connected in my work with the autistic community and that's the overwhelming preference of most autistic adults is identity first language. Um, and there's research around person first language actually increasing stigma because it says, hey, autism is bad. We need to separate you from it. Whereas autistic people are saying, no, this is actually part of my identity. You can't separate me from it. So just a side note that you'll hear me say autistic. So I tried a, a number of different settings. I worked in early intervention in schools and clinics. And it, it was really hard for me to not feel like I had the skills to be the therapist who I wanted to be. Um, I eventually got a job working for UNC Chapel Hill's TEACH autism program. It's an outdated acronym, T-E-A-C-C-H. Um, but they were one of the first organizations back in the 70s to say autism is neurodevelopmental. It's not caused by refrigerator moms, which was the predominant theory at that time. It has its own culture. Autistic people have their own learning style and strengths. So they were pretty forward thinking. And I got so much training when I worked there um, and I started giving trainings to people from all over the world. And I had a really low caseload so I could really focus and do my best work in the clinic and use that as a space and an opportunity to teach others. And it was interesting because there were really no other OTs in sight. And everything that I was learning was so aligned with OT. I mean, it was almost like they had looked at the OT practice framework and said, how can we best serve our clients? I just felt my confidence go up so much as I got the skills and the information that I needed. And I, I really wanted to share that with others because I, I knew how much... Um, 
I had struggled and how transformative it was for me to have the right training. So after I had my first child, I left teach and I started, um, mostly because of a non-compete that made it hard for me to work. I started consulting with other therapists, but I found that I was teaching them the same things over and over and over again. So I developed an online course and eventually that grew into what is now learn, play, thrive. Um, and I'm not, I'm not teaching what I learned at teach in the same way. Um, that's my foundation and my framework, but my business grew and changed as I sort of dipped my toes and then jumped full in to the neurodiversity community and strengths-based approaches. So everything is kind of unfolded and transformed in front of me in the last four, four years um, as I've been growing my business. I mean, that's really exciting. And to go back to what you said about practitioners not feeling like they have the skills or being the therapist they want to be, practitioners they want to be out of school, I just, I hear that over and over again as well. Um, I felt that personally as well too. Um, so I just, I, I just want to thank you so much for, you know, really taking the steps to develop these courses for um, practitioners to learn. And then just your, your mission and your, your values and what you're teaching in your company, the, the, um, the autistic individual first, I think that those are really important conversations to have and, and you're having them and you're having the research to back them up. And I think that that's something we can really all learn from. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, I think I was a, a good enough therapist, but the way my business has unfolded, it really does play to my strengths because I'm somebody who likes asking bigger questions. I have a really hard time existing in hierarchies where you can't change things, um, whether that's outdated paradigms or just inefficient systems. Um, so, so getting to ask big questions and challenge um, systems of power and problematic paradigms and try and support all the therapists on the ground who are doing the hard work to change the way we work with autistic kids and change the way we see autism and, and support neurodivergent people is really very much aligned with who I am and what I want to be doing. So it's been such a win-win um, that my business kind of landed me here in this role to support other people doing what they do best. And so in its current form, right now, what type of offerings does Learn, Play, Thrive have? Yeah, so we offer online continuing education courses for OTs and speech language pathologists. We actually have a lot of other folks take the courses as well. That's just where we're registered for CEUs and all the instructors are OTs or speech language pathologists. So it started as just me, um, teaching my sort of flagship course, the Learn, Play, Thrive approach to autism, which has really changed over the years as I've been interviewing autistic people and listening to the autistic community and learning about strengths-based approaches. Um, so I, I have a podcast too called Two Sides of the Spectrum, and I interview autistic people mostly, but also people trying to change clinical practice. And I've had to really look deeply at my own content and my own teaching and 
engage really honestly with the Learn Play Thrive community and say, hey, I got this wrong. Like, I'm going to update this. Um, Because what I'm hearing from autistic people is that my understanding and what I was taught around this issue or that issue um, is actually really different from the way autistic people are experiencing themselves in the world or is um, problematic or is not strengths-based. So I've really gotten the opportunity to change my course a lot over the years to be more aligned with strengths-based practices that are affirming to who autistic people are rather than using this lens of trying to change them. Um, And I guess it's worth explaining what neurodiversity even means, um, which is a lens of saying that there are different ways of thinking and learning and being in the world And historically, neurotypical or non-autistic people have tried to change autistic people and make them less autistic. And the research is really clear that that has a profoundly negative impact on their mental health and self-concept and authentic participation in the world. And this is really, really pervasive in how we work with autistic kids, even if we're like, oh, I don't use behavioral approaches. Um, we, we still are, unless we've really, really done the work to listen to autistic people and try and take the perspective of our autistic clients, which isn't something non-autistic people can do without work. Um, we are causing harm. So my, um, I started with the learn, play, thrive approach to autism, have changed it over the years to be better aligned with neurodiversity affirming practices. Um, and then I added on another course by autistic speech language pathologist, Rachel Dorsey last year. Um, she had already made this course and it was just sitting there. And I said, Rachel, I, um, I'm really excited about your course. People are begging me for a course on goal writing, and I don't have the skills to teach that. And also I can offer AOTA and ASHA CEUs for it. And she said, yes. And it's been such an amazing partnership, such a win-win that, that I'm able to help her get her course out there. Um, and people really love it. So it's on goal writing for autistic students. And then I added another course by a speech language pathologist called authentic AAC, um, which is another area that I could never teach on, but is so important for OTs and SLPs. Um, and I imagine this year it'll just continue to grow. So what learn play thrive is now is sort of a hub for neurodiversity affirming strengths-based courses on autism that are really, really practical. I will never try and sell a course that leaves people going, well, that was interesting, but what do I do? Those are so frustrating um, because I know what it's like to be on the ground trying to do meaningful work with my clients and take courses that just kind of give me theory or Um, are hard to translate into practice. So our courses are, are, are strengths-based and neurodiversity affirming, but they are jam-packed with like videos and case studies and practical strategies. So people can take the course and then immediately feel really, really excited and confident that they know what to do in their work. 
Oh, I'm just sitting here shaking my, like nodding my head. Like, yes, yes. Like this, it's amazing. And I, I first found you through, um, you know, like online search and signed up for your, um, like mini masterclass, I think. And then I follow your newsletter. And so, yes, I highly encourage listeners to go listen to your podcast, two sides of the spectrum and, um, the collaboration, I think between SLPs and OTs is just really vital and so it's just everything I've, I've seen in Learn, Play, Thrive so far it has been, like you said, practical and, and just strengths-based. And it's, it's refreshing, <laughs> I guess, to, to sum it up. And so, uh, Meg, what are your favorite parts about running your business? Um, so I sort of mentioned this before, but... Um, one of my favorite parts is to be able to <laughs> question deeply our entrenched paradigms and ways of working with autistic kids. Um, Cause I have the flexibility and freedom of looking at what we're doing and saying, um, and, and the time and the mental space that people with productivity deadlines and treatment plans and all that don't always have. Um, to be able to listen and ask these big questions and try and help mm, make the path from the the big change to what this looks like on the ground to support people. And that really feels good to me and feels really aligned with my values. Whereas when I was a therapist, especially in the first few years, um, I, I really struggled with only having intervention approaches that didn't feel aligned with my values and having to do something. So that's a really fun shift to be able to participate in. But I'd say my favorite part is watching how these ideas are received by the OT community. Um, early on, I wrote an article on my blog about why I don't use hand over hand. Um, and I had been feeling this you know, since I started as a therapist, I just really believe in people's right to autonomy over their body. Um, and I don't think we have the right to move kids' bodies for them just because we want them to do something, especially without their permission. And then I was adding more nuance to this and thinking about um, autistic people and their high rates of sexual assault and what the message is when we use hand over hand without their permission that their no doesn't matter and that adults get to make choices about their body on top of it just being really ineffective because of how autistic kids form routines. Um, so I kind of soapboxed on this and then braced myself for the backlash from OTs defending themselves because they used hand over hand. And that is not what happened. Um, I think that so much of what I'm saying and what the people I'm platforming are saying really speaks to our person affirming OT souls, right? People hear this message. And even though it might call out things they've been doing, they overwhelmingly say, thank you. I needed to hear that. I'm so excited to let this go or to try something different rather than no, 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 no. This is a good strategy because X, Y, Z, my, my professor told me, 
Um, people do struggle a little bit with identity first language, um, but, but they still are listening and reflecting and trying. And the, the most common response I get is, is thank you. And I'm excited. People take our courses and they email and they just say like, gosh, thank you so much for creating these. I get a lot of people telling me that they were feeling burned out and uninspired and like their work didn't matter and they feel reinvigorated. And it makes me really hopeful for our profession um, to see how excited people are to bring their work into alignment with their values um, and to really honestly reflect on what they're doing and find ways to show up differently. You might be solving some of the uh, mysteries of, of burnout here at the same time, Meg, which is amazing. <laughs> it might be one piece. I know there's a lot of other really practical logistical pieces, but I do think feeling like your work doesn't matter. It's really right. hard to do hard work when you also yeah, feel like it's misaligned with your values or like it's not really making an impact. Right, right. Which is also in alignment with the occupational therapy practice framework, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, it um, really is. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about the, the, the table and the values and that's some really, really powerful insight. So, so then what do you find to be some of the most challenging pieces of your work? in your company? Um, you know, I have sort of two avenues that come to mind when you ask me that. And one is um, a little bit more philosophical and one is a little bit more logistical. So um, philosophically, it's that I'm a neurotypical person teaching a course on autism with the message that autistic people are the experts on autism. And um, I'm not gonna take my course down at this time because I, I do believe that it's um, reflecting what I'm learning from the autistic community. And I hire autistic consultants to review my work and I listen to feedback and I update it. And I have autistic guest instructors inside of my course. Um, and I hold this slight misalignment of me being the instructor of my course on autism, um, whereas I'm saying we really need to be listening to autistic people, not to neurotypicals, um, and really wanting to get the content out there to change clinical practice. So I try to be really sensitive to that and open to that, um, to navigating that as well as I can. On a more practical day-to-day -day sense, um, the hardest part of running my business has been learning how to run a business. <laughs> um, and I think the most powerful thing there has been hiring consultants who can teach me how to do things like um, create a policies and procedures manual so that I can hire people to do all the things in my business that don't need to be done by me so that I can really focus on messaging and, and growing and content, not on, um, you know, the, the API integration between this and that, and the customer service email and all of the sort of little 
Yes, yes. I feel like maybe we, as as occupational therapists, we can fall into that trap of like, I have to do it all. And it's like, well, no, there are some very talented, skilled people in these areas and we can, we can ask for help. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not even just, I have to do it all. It's that like, I didn't have the skills to train other people properly to take things off of my plate. So I kept hiring people and then being like, yeah, this isn't working. And finally I had a consultant come to me and be like, I can help you retain people who you're hiring. Like they're not the problem you are. And it's so fun because it is aligned still with this idea of looking at systems and how the systems are the problem, not the people. My systems were the problem, right? So she taught me how to really, really get everything organized so that it could grow um, rather than just doing things the best way I knew how. So there's sort of been an internal process in my business that reflects the the change in messaging too, <laughs> listening to somebody who knows better than me and getting things really aligned and systematized so that they work smoothly and we can focus on the things that matter. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, what do you, what do you feel like makes your expertise distinct? Yeah. I mean, I don't think, um, I don't think there's anybody out there doing this exactly not with OTs as their audience. Um, my, my business was very successful, very quickly, which I think really spoke to the need and the hunger of people to have practical strategies, but also again, like affirming um, strategies to use in their work. Um, I think OTCUs, <laughs> in my experience, have largely just missed the mark. Um, and people are hungry for things that are practical and transformative. And it's, it's really fun to be able to offer those and to make them accessible, right? Like there's, there's some good neurodiversity affirming content out there. Um, but those people aren't always reaching OTs. Definitely. Well, and I definitely see learn, play, thrive, filling, filling that gap. Absolutely. And then you also talked about just how sensitive and how humble you are about including autistic individuals in all of your course content. And I haven't seen, at least in occupational therapy, much of that happening in continuing education. I don't think I have either. Um, It's happening in continuing education for sure. In autism, um, there's a lot of conferences and trainings that center autistic voices. I think, yeah, OT is lagging pretty terribly behind there. Um, I do collaborate with Um, some different SLP course creators who are doing that in their businesses. And I hope that we're going to see more of that as time goes on in, in OT, because it really does resonate with who we are at our core. Absolutely. And this, 
this leads me to my next question. And, you know, where, where do you see the, the field of occupational therapy in 10 years, in 15, 20? And I, I guess specifically around, you know, your, your area of focus. I don't know, Heidi. Um, I'm in a bubble, right? Like I'm in this bubble of people who are excited about these changes and it's hard for me to gauge how much it's self-selecting and how much it reflects our profession more broadly. And I want to, I really want to believe um, that it reflects what we're hungry for. And I will tell you the people who take my courses are a lot of them are powerhouses, they're like, oh, I just took this to my state OT board, to my school system director. We get a lot of um, people who take a course and then approach somebody higher up and then their school system enrolls all 50 OTs or SLPs in the course. So people who are really trying to, in a very grassroots way, um, create real change um, I, I don't know what it's going to look like in OT more broadly because we are still so deficits based and um, nestled in the medical model and relying on, um, you know, our payer sources and things like that. Um, and systems change does take a really long time. I do see AOTA um, in some ways showing up for it, which is hopeful. Um, and, and I guess I want to be hopeful that we can in the next, I think you said 10 to 20 years, um, become more culturally competent in autism. I, I think we can, I think we can do it. And I think it even works within the medical model. We just have to change what we're doing. So I guess my hope is that that becomes the norm and that we can really, really, really weed out how much we rely on behaviorism, teaching autistic kids that's not okay to be autistic, teaching masking. I mean, there is so much of what most of us were taught and what our continuing education courses are teaching that is misaligned with our code of ethics. Um, and it's going to be uncomfortable, but I really hope that in 10 or 20 years, we're going to look at that and go, oh my gosh, gross. I can't believe we were still teaching that in 2022. Well, I I'm putting it on my calendar. We're going to check in in 2032. I can't wait. <laughs> um, no, but just, I'm already thinking about, I'm like, oh, I should share this with this person because they work at a school and they are a powerhouse and they can share it with their district like they've already told me how they've implemented some different training protocols and so I, I think that grassroots effort what you're talking about can be really powerful in this paradigm shift absolutely well Meg where can people find your content I feel like you have dropped some teasers where it's like you know, you, you go to this course and there's going to be all of this learning and it's going to be fantastic. And, um, I'm sure people are, are looking forward to getting a hold of your content and enrolling in your courses. Yeah. So I'm at learnplaythrive.com. We have all of our courses there as well as free masterclasses, um, that are, that are real, that have real content in them. They're not just 
sales pitches for the courses. Um, they have some of the, the real shifts around strength-based practice and goal writing that we're asking people to try and make in their work. Um, I post a lot of content on Instagram at Learn, Play, Thrive. Um, I'm on Facebook as Meg Proctor OT. It's honestly the same content as Instagram. Um, then I have a Facebook group called Learn, Play, and Thrive Autism Resources for Professionals. Fantastic. And then is there anything else you would like our listeners to know? No, I don't think so. I'm just, I'm so excited to be a part of this, this community. And I'm, I'm very inspired by, um, I think people who listen to a podcast on continuing education are my people, right? They're the lifelong <laughs> learners who are reflective. And I'm just, I'm excited to, to be in community with all of y'all and hope that we can connect. Well, again, Meg, thank you so, so much for joining us, sharing your wisdom. And we just, I, I hope to keep connecting with you in the future. Thank you, Heidi. Thank you.